coming up on This Week in Games, Pokemon and Tencent team up for new titles, Rockstar skates around gambling regulation, and we learn how much a League of Legends LCS spot is actually worth. Coming up, This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and we had a surprisingly jam-packed week this week. Although the week seemed like a collection of, I don't know, smaller events, it actually unveiled a lot of important business information. So let's kick it off. The Pokemon Company and Tencent team up to create new Pokemon games. So the Pokemon Company seems to be taking the Disney approach and selling itself off to I don't know, anyone who's willing to pay the price. The Pokemon Company will work with Tencent's Teamy Studio, which is a studio behind the League of Legends mobile clone Arena of Valor, on an unspecified number of new titles with no more details announced. So for those of you who don't remember, earlier this year, the Pokemon Company announced a partnership with NetEase to bring Pokemon Quest to China and a partnership with DNA that will be releasing a new mobile title called Pokemon Masters later this year. Tencent released a Pokemon Go clone earlier this year called Let's Hunt Monsters. It peaked during its release month of April, kind of faltered after that. And again, Nintendo has been historically protective of its IPs, although Pokemon has kind of shared somewhat three ways between Nintendo, Game Freak, and the Pokemon Company. It's considered to be very protective of letting other companies do whatever they want with their IP. Everyone remembers those terrible, what were they, like Philips? Whatever the Philips uh, game console was, those terrible Zelda games with the really bad animation. The Pokemon Company has the rights to the trading card game and some other spinoff games, but actually can't make a core Pokemon franchise entry and has a lot of restrictions from what I understand around, like, I don't think it can do like turn-based RPG battling in its game or other things like that. I think it it can only stick to spin-off franchises that can't be confused for an actual core Pokemon franchise game. And to me, it says a lot about Nintendo that Dr. Mario, Fire Emblem, and Pokemon have come to mobile through third-party developers. Nintendo is a very conservative company, so this <laughs> kind of is a sign that Nintendo might be recouping massive losses in other areas of the company by selling off these uh, franchises. I mean, a lot of people have been predicting that Nintendo will come to mobile for a while, but they never predicted that Nintendo would go to DNA, NetEase, Tencent, um, other smaller, other competitive publishers to make the games for them. You know, you would think Nintendo would make the games themselves in-house. The Pokemon company, however, seems to lend itself out to whoever's willing to pay the IP fees and the revenue share agreement. So. I don't know. Pretty interesting. I guess we'll have to see what actually comes of this. I don't expect uh, a game to the level of Pokemon Go. I don't expect a turn-based RPG like traditional Pokemon games. I, I expect more stuff like Pokemon Quest, like offshoot games that could be skinned pretty much anything and just happen to be skinned Pokemon. So we'll have to see what comes of it. And Nintendo and Tencent aren't done for the week because Tencent announces a partnership with Nintendo to bring the Switch to China. So at a press conference in August next week, Nintendo and Tencent will announce officially, I don't know, whatever it is about bringing the Nintendo Switch to China. This press conference will be held in Shanghai. And 
you know, everyone saw this coming because there is, was a result of an April approval by the Chinese government for Tencent to release a small batch of Nintendo Switches within a specific region in China. I'm guessing that went well. And pretty much Nintendo could see a new age of growth in China. With Tencent backing them, I mean, the government... Sh you know, if you look at what the Chinese government dislikes about gamings, Nintendo, or Nintendo actually, I said Nintendo, that would be the ultimate acquisition, Nintendo. Um, Nintendo actually hits all the great marks. Outside of being a Japanese company, Nintendo's games don't really abuse in-app purchases. Um, they're not really games that, I mean, people grind them for hours, but they're not games that are inherently made for you to waste your time like 10 hours a day grinding at. They're also very kid-friendly. There's nothing politically like insensitive about them. There's nothing culturally insensitive about them. They never outright target real-world events. I think Nintendo is like the perfect foreign company to be brought into China, and they have Tencent as their partner, so, you know, win, win, win. All right, <laughs> next up, this one. God, I saw this and I just had to laugh. GTA 5 makes a politically insensitive move and introduces a full-on casino into the game. So Rockstar Games, a company for which I worked at for two years, decided that at the peak of scrutiny over online gambling and games, this was the perfect time to release a casino in GTA 5. So the Diamond Casino, as this is called in GTA 5, requires players to convert the in-game currency into chips to play. However, the in-game currency can, can be purchased with real money, so this intermediate step is kind of moot. So effectively, people can pay real money to play a casino in the game, and some countries have already blocked the new casino from being accessible. Now, Red Dead Redemption 2's online mode already faced similar issues with a similar feature, so not really that big of a surprise. The countries were already set up to block this feature as well. And for me, it's really just a strange and blatant move to put a casino in GTA 5 for people to gamble. Now, there's no obvious way to convert the GTA 5 chips in the casino back into USD dollars, so it's not really full-on gambling. It's merely what all social casinos do um, currently right now anyways but for rockstar to put g for rockstar to put a casino in gta 5 it really feels like an end of an era like this is the company that will spend seven years meticulously crafting gameplay now feels the need that just outright putting a social casino in gta 5 is the next step for growth I don't know. It's it's not a good sign for the world we live in because it basically is showing that top-end gameplay, and Rockstar Games can make top-end gameplay. Top-end gameplay and systems just can't compare to outright gambling. And it's really depressing to see this happen. And I, I don't know. I, I, it's like, I, it's a worrying sign when most of, like, big publishers revenue comes from gotcha machines like the dream team in nba 2k um fifa's gotcha machine which is i think is called the dream team as well or whatever uh gta 5 putting in gambling like everything comes from gambling now and it's really it's kind of pathetic and it's sad that this is where revenue growth sits at the highest level of gaming it's in gambling so We'll have to see. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good like two years fight to see how regulation shakes out gambling and games. So we'll have to just see how this shakes out. But to me, again, 
end of an era when like gameplay is no longer the way to growth in high intraboy gaming. But we'll have to see. All right, next up. This is another interesting story. It doesn't seem that big. Facebook moves Insta games off of Messenger and into the Facebook app. So I think it's called the Big Blue internally at the company. The Big Blue Facebook app will be the destination for all Insta games. Also in the update, Insta game submissions will reopen after three months of, I guess, not being open. And developers will be required to have a... De- Apple developer team ID to submit to Instagame. So there's a lot to break down first. The Apple developer ID is likely a result of Apple changing its terms of service for HTML5 game developers. Clearly, Apple doesn't want web games to be a loophole to deploy games on iOS without paying the revenue split or handing over key data to Apple. So think about it. Traditionally, you you release what uh, an iOS app, um, you submit it to Apple, they approve it. You have to sign up, you give them whatever, they control whatever data flow, and you give them a 30% cut of all your revenue. But what you see now is there are a lot of web portals releasing on iOS. So, you know, Snap Games has their nine games or whatever, but those nine games are actually technically almost websites. Like, right, they're using HTML5, Canvas, and JavaScript. Um, very likely, I don't know what they're actually using. And they deploy, like you visiting a website, it deploys HTML5, Canvas, and JavaScript to your web browser, and you interact with it that way. Well, that's what the games are doing. And so it was a pretty, it was a somewhat gray area. So whether these games actually count it as the same thing web pages counted at, or are they actually games that need to actually go through the full iOS approval? So iOS is and Apple are trying to skate that, or pull that back. And so, yeah, it makes sense. Um, the big one, moving of games to the Big Blue Facebook app is a strategic move Sorry to save Facebook's kind of sinking flagship app. And the reason I say this is because Instagram and WhatsApp are frankly now more important than actually Facebook on mobile. So Facebook as a mobile app itself is stagnant while Instagram and WhatsApp are still massively growing. Like I think actually Instagram has um, longer, higher retention, longer engagement per user. It's probably going to soon start bringing in more revenue than Facebook. WhatsApp clearly, I think it's the flagship messenger or third-party messenger app um in all of north america and moving games from facebook messenger to facebook is an attempt to take whatever dedicated gamers there are on messenger for instant apps and move them to the facebook app so facebook can't show that the big blue facebook app is losing users because although they own messenger they own whatsapp they own instagram um to investors and kind of to the outside tech world, it looks bad when your flagship app is losing all of its users. It'd be like if Google search was declining, but YouTube search was going up. You know, Google would probably find a way to plug that hole because everything is predicated off of Google search. And that's how Facebook is as well. And this could also be another thing is the beginning of Facebook's next attempt at being a player in games. You know, they used to be before mobile, Facebook was the big social gaming capital. And then mobile came out and Facebook's tried and tried a few times to kind of revitalize games and a game ecosystem and a game platform on Facebook. Never fully did it. Now, games to me never made sense to be an add-on on a messenger platform and really make sense as their own ecosystem. And 
I expect more news in the next six months from Facebook. This could be really interesting. And uh, man, it could be a number of things like putting Oculus on the Facebook, officially putting, I mean, Facebook really could be a player in games and it's kind of, they just need to do it. You know, it's, I don't know how else to say it, but Facebook just needs to do it. Um, and they have the money and technology to become a player in games again. All right, next up, Bandai Namco releases a Nintendo Labo-type product called Tori that integrates a small pad, cardboard toys, and mobile or tablets all together to make kind of this play experience. This isn't that big of a story. It's just something I want to highlight. Like, um, So let's go through it. Tori also includes a smart wand and a number of 3D games for kids to interact with and physical toys. Really, I'm just shocked. We're not seeing this more and more because this makes perfect product sense to target younger audiences parents don't want younger audiences merely gazing at a tablet or laptop right playing fortnite do you really want a five-year-old playing fortnite and instead they want kids to be like creative to build crap um and to like find new and innovative ways to interact with their world and if their world is very boring then they can live in a digital world and i don't i don't know what happened to this because it started with Skylanders and Disney Infinity. And as far as I could tell, those seemed like a massive success. And then it went to Nintendo Labo. Um, not as big of a success, but very experimental. And now we're at like adding smart wands and intelligent pads to play on. And man, this is really, I don't think Bandai Namco's Tori is going to be the product, but this could be a really big emerging market because physical products like are still king especially with younger kids like they need to touch stuff so we're talking about like you know three-year-olds to i don't know seven like they would rather touch something than be play a digital game right and to interact with both what they're used to because so many kids are used to iphones and tablets but also have the physical games it just makes sense and i don't know why this isn't bigger maybe it's because all the retailers like toys r us are going under but man this seems like an opportunity um i guess we'll have to see how tori goes in nintendo labo i mean i feel like it sold a lot of units but clearly nintendo's not going back to that well very often so probably not the biggest uh revenue booster we'll have to see how tori does all right let's get into the business news so unity has a round of common stock investments which leaves the company valued at over $6 billion. So Unity received a tender offer of $520 million to buy common shareholder investments. So this means uh, a bunch of companies got a bunch of cash together and they're going to buy shares off of employees who have stock options, but the company isn't public. So instead of going to Unity and saying print more shares or create more shares or dilute your current shares, um, we're going to buy the shares off employees and people who just want to give us shares for cash. And so that's what happened, $525 million. Um, the tender offer was a combination of all the regular VC and investment firms that you hear on this podcast all the time. So D1, Light Street, Sequoia, Silver Lake, all trying to get back into Unity. Also an amazing sign that a lot of these people are double dippers or triple dippers into Unity now. So clearly Unity, whatever they're doing, these companies like. The interesting part is the evaluation for the tender was set the company at over $6 billion. With Unity teasing an IPO in 2020, the jump over $6 billion marks 
a significant leap as the company was <laughs> sub six billions merely a few months ago in May. So they had a fundraising round in May. I think it was for $125 million. They had Unity sub six billion. Look, we're like two months later, it's already over $6 billion. And Unity's looking to IPO next year. All great signs. Unity, uh, some facts, they claim to be the game engine for 50% of all mobile games. I know that many indie and smaller studios use Unity, even big companies use Unity. Very easy to see why they're a $6 billion valuation, probably going to get bigger. Um, yeah, all around good news. Next up, Tilting Point invests $30 million in UA for Cat Game by Mino Games. So, Cat Game or who made Cat Game is less important. What's important is it's strange that this piece of news is entering the public business news as generally publishers don't make press releases on hard numbers they're spending on user acquisition for title. So very strange. Like you don't see Call of Duty going, hey, we're about to release a new Call of Duty and we're going to spend $198 million on marketing. Like that doesn't happen. So very strange that Tilting Point is doing this. Um, yeah, $30 million represents a large amount of money. I think it's the largest that Tilting Point has put towards a single game, and Cat Game is likely signed a steep contract to receive this. Um, wow. It And what this really says is how strange the new age of mobile games is. Marketing in UA specifically is it represents a multiple of the actual development budget for mobile games. And it's really ridiculous. If you think about it, you're making a product for like, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then to actually release the product, you have to spend tens of millions of dollars. Like what? It doesn't seem like mobile can keep growing. Like this isn't self-sufficient. Like this is where we are now. And this trend keeps growing. Where are we going to be? Oh, it requires $100 million to release a mobile game. Even though all these mobile games are made, you know, small teams. We're talking about, what, like max of 15, maybe 30 developers over the course of months. Like, we're not even talking years. And except for the user acquisition costs are ridiculous. So if $30 million is the price to a mission just to compete in mobile games, it's like, I, I don't know. We're we're definitely hitting a reflection point in mobile gaming. Doesn't even make sense at this point. And yeah, I mean, when when you're like this and the walled garden of getting users is that high, that's when innovation, like that's when innovation is prime. So we'll have to see. <laughs> All right. This was an interesting story. So how much is a League of Legends NALCS spot worth? Well, we got the answer. $30.25 million, according to Echo Fox. So I haven't been covering the Echo Fox drama or all their news. I don't really care. It doesn't seem that interesting. Echo Fox is a drama-filled esports team um, for a lot of reasons. It's now considering selling its League of Legends NALCS spot to Kronk sports and entertainment for over 30 million dollars so for those of you who don't know i think i don't know i i used to watch league like many years ago i don't watch it now the NALCS is you can think about it like the nhl or the nba or the nfl it's the sports league for league of legends in north america there's only a certain number of teams riot controls who gets to be a team or not um and yeah like i think what let's just say there's like 16 teams right 
And so there's only 16 teams, and you can't make a new team because Riot controls who's a team or not. And so you have to, as a team owner, you can sell your spot on the League of Legends in ALCS. And then Riot will control the quality of players, so you're not getting, like, stomped every week. Um, But, yeah, it's pretty crazy. But it's also pretty telling when a major franchise like Echo Fox, and Echo Fox is huge in esports, is willing to sell their NALCS spot. You know, an NALCS spot at one point was like the ultimate pedestal for esports teams, right? Uh, League of Legends, NALCS, arguably one of the biggest leagues in all of esports, one of the most consistent revenue generators. It was like a crowning like achievement to have an LCS spot and now you know echo games is selling their spot and really it might be a commentary on PL for pro league of legends teams however i will say riot still needs to approve the sale but it's expected to go through so pretty interesting all right let's get to some smaller business news french publisher big ben continues its goal towards to be the leader of double a publishing by acquiring rpg developer spider so for an unspecified amount, Big Ben acquires French studio Spiders, known for the RPGs The Technomancer and Bound by Flame. This makes the fourth developer acquisition by Big Ben this year as it marches towards its goal of publishing 12 to 15 games a year by 2022 and become the leader of AA publishing. Uh, 12 to 15 games a year. That's pretty fucking crazy. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Um, but I'm curious to see how like kind of a risk conscious portfolio strategy plays out. Is there room for a large double A publisher? You know, I guess Paradox Interactive to me is a large double A publisher, but they're so niche with like their, uh, 4X games. They're so niche that it's hard to really compare them to, I don't know what a double A Activision would be. So we'll see how Big Ben does. I'm very curious. I'm, I really like this kind of re-emerging AA space, and I'm curious to see if these companies can actually thrive in it. All right, next up. Strange story. NetEase strangely opens a Montreal studio. I say strangely because NetEase recently invested in Behavioral Interactives, receiving a minority stake in the company, and saying the investment was for R&D reasons. Well, Behavioral Interactive is in Montreal, and NetEase must not be satisfied with their R&D reasons because NetEase just announced they're going to open their own Montreal studio specifically for R&D. And I ask, who knows what's really going on? Maybe they're trying to appeal to some tax write-off. Maybe this is to satisfy Canadian law to operate in the country. It all seems a bit random for the Chinese uh, publishing giant. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. All right. Last up, a new games focused venture fund has been created, GameSeer Venture Partners. So GameSeer Venture Partners is looking to invest a little over $11 million in promising game projects by 2022. They specifically targeting PC and consoles and will invest anywhere from 100k to almost $2 million per title. Now, the interesting part is each investment is an investment into the individual title and game, not an investment into taking minority stakes in the companies that develop the said game. So this means that they want to likely, I don't know, likely recoup via revenue share or IP ownership rather than growth from the underlying company. And when you put it that way, it sounds like a shitty publisher model because you're not getting the marketing and support that a regular publisher would give you. But... If you're looking for funding, hit up GameSeer and see what their terms are for yourself. I don't know. Um, so that's it. 
that's it for this week in games. I'm Eric McConnell. Come back next week. We'll run all through it again, and I'll see you guys later. Bye.